My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you are enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. I am your host Patricia and today we are talking to Aisha Otto. Aisha is the founder and CEO of Drive Her Transportation Inc. You can find it online at www.driveher.ca. Welcome Aisha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. I'm excited too. Yeah, I love your company. We were talking um, off the record before we got on today, and um, I re- feel really passionate about its um, its core ethos and its drive, and so I'm excited to unpack it. It's always fun to talk to founders and new founders and stuff like that, but it's also um, really excited when you really love what the product is. So for everyone listening, I'm going to read a bio on Aisha, but before I do that, a quick roadmap for today's podcast. We will first look at Aisha's um, brief academic background and early professional history to kind of garner a sense of the platform that she's coming from, and then we'll turn our efforts towards unpacking um, all of the like nuts and bolts, the who, what, when, where, why, how, and then turn to the ethos as, as well as unpacking um, Drive Her Transportation, Inc., as well as um, Power to Girls Foundation. Then we'll look at goals that um, Aisha has for the next three years regarding all of her endeavors. Those have changed remarkably for people over the past three months. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. And then we'll wrap everything up with advice that Aisha has for um, those of you looking to get involved in what she's doing or perhaps emulate some of her career success. So a quick bio on Aisha before I start peppering her with questions. Aisha Otto thrives on working to make the world a better place for women. Although she's a graduate in business administration and accounting, her true passion and dedication lie in ensuring girls around the world are provided with the guidance and resources that help them identify their true purpose and calling to reach their full potential. Aisha founded Power to Girls Foundation, a nonprofit organization to offer young girls the mentors and role models that were absent during her own youth. As a facilitator and director of Power to Girls, Aisha uses her personal experiences and knowledge to create a safe and engaging spaces for the girls she works with. Aisha is the recipient of the Young, Black, and Gifted Award for Community Service and was also named a Black Diversity Group Role Model and one of the 100 Black women to watch in Canada and among the 150 Black women making history in Toronto. The ride-sharing service Drive Her is Aisha's latest initiative created for women by women and the next step in her journey to continue to empower and protect women. So Aisha, we have, um, we have a very shared ethos and lineage between what the work that we do at Patricia Kathleen Podcast, and I cannot wait to kind of crawl through some of that. But before we get there, would you mind painting a picture for us about your early academic background and professional life that kind of brought you to these endeavors? Absolutely. Um, so once again, thank you so very much for having me on here. I'm super excited to have this Absolutely. conversation with you. Um, so a little bit of a background. I came to Canada when I was 14 um, from Ghana, so West Africa specifically. And um, when I came to Ghana, like through you know, no fault of my own or no fault of anyone's, I found myself in actually the foster care system. Um, and throughout that system, one of the things that like really stood out to me, aside from like, you know, just the way that the system is set up for, you know, people of color or like even 
girls in general was one thing that my foster mom said to me. So she sat me down. She's like, you know, Aisha, there is a couple of um, expectations that are, you know, basically expected of you as someone that is in considered to be in the system. So one is you're supposed to be kind of like, you know, a high school dropout. You're supposed to be a teenage mom. You're supposed to be like, you know, a drug addict at some point in your life. And like, when she was having that conversation with me, there was just something in me that's just like, I'm not going to be that stereotype, like, you know, but that wasn't something that I said out loud to her. I kind of like said that to myself. So that had always been at the back of my mind. So when at 17, I moved out of the foster care system and I was on my own, it was really kind of like the period where, you know, you're figuring yourself out and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, this is all the things that I've been told I'm supposed to be. So now who am I going to be aside from that? Right. Cause it's so easy for you to like, in a way, like gravitate towards certain things just because you've heard it said about yourself or you've heard it said about your life. Um, so I, when I finished high school, I enrolled in college and my, my course of choice is actually accounting. So I'm an accounting graduate. Mm -hmm. I do not practice accounting um, as a career, obviously. What um, was the like? What was the drive to accounting? Did it have a specific allure to you? So, so I really loved math when um, I was in Ghana, and I enjoyed math even like when I was in Toronto, like I was going through high school. Um, so I remember having a conversation with my dad, like when I finished high school, I'm like, I don't know, like, you know, we have to choose our courses, we have to, you know, go through all these things. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, you know, and it's like, well, you've always liked math. And I had taken an accounting course um, during high school, and I really excelled at it. And I was good at it. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to take accounting. So he's like, what about accounting? I'm like, yeah, you know, what? you're right. So that was kind of like what um, propelled me to taking accounting. However, one thing that like, I actually barely share is the fact that when, like when I was figuring out what course to take in school, a couple of my friends had said to me, you know, you should do like, you know, child and youth work or social work mm -hmm. or whatever, because we can see you doing that stuff. And my excuse at that point was that like, listen, I've gone to high school with like, you know, all these people. I don't want to have to go to college with all these people again. Like, I don't want to see these faces again. Um, because again, like my idea of, you know, college is that, you know, you're going to be, you, majority of the people that I knew at that time were going into that sector and into that field and mm -hmm. it also fe felt like a stream um, like a sector that was like streamlined specifically for people of color so I was just like mm -hmm. nah I'm not gonna be like I don't want to be that quote-unquote stereotype um later on I realized that like you know I really should have studied social work <laughs> um, <laughs> you're like they were right <laughs> you're right I really should have studied social work um mainly because of like all the different things that I found myself doing like I found myself really um, engaged in a community um, that's kind of like also what led to the start of Power to Go. So it had it would have made sense. But then I think because my background was not necessarily in social work and like most of the work that I was doing was catered around that, it really, like I was able to bring like a personalized aspect to it. So like even currently with Power to Girls, we get the chance of like bringing in um, university students as placements or co-op students. And the teachers always say to me, you know, you're like they get a chance to experience social work in its raw form because of like the work that you guys are doing because for us we only provide the theory we really tell them okay this is what it's supposed to be in the book but with our support and like with our partnership be able to like really get that hands-on experience so I think I'm able to live vicariously throughout my girls um although yeah. I didn't study social work um yeah so like my background is actually in accounting um, I finished school um, and then I went straight into like just running Power to Girls full time um, until like, you know, everything with Drive Her kind of like came about. So that's like my educational background. Yeah, that's interesting. So I kind of want to just continue on that road then. Mm -hmm. You mentioned um, Power to Girls and we talked about it being a nonprofit organization to offer um, young girls mentors and role models. And the only reference I have to those kinds of nonprofits that I think kind of blossomed more after my youth so mm -hmm. I didn't see a lot of them was like big brothers, big sisters, the YMCA, YWCA had similar programs. Mm -hmm. So is your program similar to that? And how does it vary? Can you kind of talk about the structure of it? Yeah, absolutely. So when I started Power to Girls, honestly, it was, it was really remembering some of the things that my foster mom had said to me. Um, and it was really like, 
coming to Canada, it was something that I faced as well, where I didn't know where to go to for support. I didn't know who to talk to for support. Um, there was a lot of like, you know, personal challenges in terms of like, you know, you're in a new country, there's a culture shock. There is like, I speak English and in Ghana, we speak English. So there isn't so much of like a language barrier, but being like, you know, from Africa at that time was not something that people were kind of like, welcoming off you know so there was a lot of like bullying and stuff like that was going on but then one of the things for me was that like the focus for the organization is really targeting marginalized girls so it's about girls that like you know on the regular would not have access to certain programs girls that like you know um their parents are like immigrants or their um, they themselves are immigrants um, and they've come to Canada new or like, you know, they find, they're finding challenges in like coping and adapting. So like for us, the main thing from the get-go was like focusing on marginalized girls and marginalized communities because I knew firsthand what it was like to be in Canada new and not have access to any of these resources. Because some of the resources that like, you know, you mentioned, yes, they were available, but at that time they were not very open um, to people of color like people of color didn't feel like they can actually like you know access these programs and these resources freely so that was kind of like how power to girls came to play and honestly we started with like six girls from my charge um and then we just we started having conversations it was like hey tell me what are some of the challenges that you're facing um and then the challenges like you know varied from like school to home to like everything else in between so one of the things that i realized that really like provided us with a leverage was that I, I, I'm from Ghana, so I kind of like understood where their parents were coming from, from like the immigrants um, perspective. So like any challenge that, you know, parents, they were having with their parents, I was kind of like able to be that middle person and say, okay, this is the reason why they say this. This is the reason why they say this, because there is this cultural background here, because there is this um, cultural understanding of this here. So I became a bridge and I was also able to form like, you know, relationships with the parents as well. So it was really like, I think that was one of like our main differentiators. Like we were very relationship based and we're very like personal with, you know, the girls that we get the opportunity to work with. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm wondering, how do you select getting into that mentor um, relationship? There's a lot to unpack here with the, yeah. you know, you have pedagogical lenses that you imply or um, you're imparting with the structure. But before we get into that, I'm wondering, um, how do you select your mentors for these yeah. people and how much training or education or guidance do you give them before you attach them or link them up with um, one of these girls? Yeah. That's a really good question. So from the get-go, that was one of like the main challenges is around like ensuring that you're finding mentors that are able to connect with the girls like one-on-one, -on -one, right? Because you're thinking about time, you're thinking about obligations and like all these different things. So we kind of like switched up the module a bit and created kind of like a group mentorship. So throughout our programs, like currently we've been able to partner with the Toronto Catholic School Board. So we actually run our programs in the school. Um, but then when we started out, it was really more around bringing the mentors to them. So every week where we have program, we will bring different women with like, you know, so two things that we were always looking for is around career aspirations and life experiences. So those were the two things that we were focusing on is that like we would bring in women that had, you know, life experiences to share that were in correlation with some of the challenges that the girls had brought up. Um, and then also women that were in particular sectors and in particular fields that are connected to kind of like where the girls want to go in future or like the things that they want to do with themselves. So those are the two things that we were focused on. So we'll yeah. bring them in every week as, you know, like guest speakers, as, um, you know, like, like facilitators and all of that stuff. So that that way the girls have access to them after and not just, you know, so they can reach out to them and say, Hey, I have a question about this. And we normally pick people that we know for a fact that like are open to that um, open relationship with the girls and are open to answering questions after because the one-on-one -on -one mentorship module was really difficult mainly because our girls had like you know a lot of like different obligations so literally the times that we have like we have them for if it's like two hours that's literally the time that we have them for for that week so it was really hard in terms of like trying to like create one-on-one -on -one connections that you know wouldn't necessarily work with like any other obligations that they had at home or at school and all that stuff so another option too that we added was that 
we sort of providing resources to the parents to like so mothers specifically so that that way the mothers can continue that empowerment process at home so it doesn't become solely dependent on like uh, external forces but then it was something that was really happening within the home so yeah that was kind of like the module that we chose and then now we are introducing more kind of like online mentorship um and like you know recruit like we've been recruiting for mentors um over the past month um and then what we do is that like the girls are able to go on our platform and then they're able to connect and link with like you know these women so they have access to like you know a whole lot of different women from like different walks of life and then they can ask them questions and have conversations with them as well so that's been kind of like the process and like the phases that the mentorship in itself has gone through um it's more around like making sure that they know this person exists and they have access to them yeah i mean to that end you know when you take it online and as has been necessary lately with the pandemic mm -hmm. um you can can you not open it up to be entire countrywide for canada if not globally like Absolutely. at some point, it sounds like you could get these mentors and mentees, you know, unified. And also, I want to clarify: Did you so do you do you take questionnaires from the mentors as to their specialties, and then you, it sounds like the mentees you ask them what areas they're interested in, so you get Absolutely. that like nice harmony going. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's so fascinating. I don't really recall that being the process of things before. It sounds like it would make for a really powerful relationship. Yes, and that's what we're going for, right? Is like ensuring this because there've been like different um, research around like you know young people having like a consistent caregiver in their life outside of their parents actually boosts up their self esteem and it boosts up their confidence. So for us, we're really like one of the things is that like we wanted to make sure that outside of their family, outside of you know their um, their school and like you know the teachers and all that stuff they still know that there's like one person that is consistent in their lives and one person that they can always go to, right? So like right now we're not in schools right now, of course. Um, and like, we've had our girls like, you know, reach out to us, you know, we've, we've also created a helpline. So we say to them, if there's anything that you're experiencing, even throughout this period that you want to talk to someone, like we're here, like hit us up. We would have a conversation with you. If you just want to vent and be like, listen, miss, I'm tired, you know, my brothers are driving me insane or my sister is doing this. Like we're here to listen because I think the mental well-being of like young people is so vital and it's so yeah. important. And you have no idea the number of times that we hear like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. And to adults, they always feel like, what are you stressed about? Like, you know, you're young, you know, you're a kid. Like what exactly do you have to be stressed about? But there's so many different like, you know, stresses that are that are placed on them that in more in more ways than one ends up like, you know, showing up in, you know, their self-esteem, showing up in the way that they show up to places and the way that they interact. So for us, if we're able to like curb that aspect, it'll be like that's basically all we want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I think people should want to help you do it. What do you have a website for the foundation? Absolutely. Yeah, it's power2girls.com. Um, yeah. And when people and, get on there, they can find out more and kind of discover yeah. more about donation and all of that. Absolutely. It sounds fantastic. I want you to grow. I want it to be international. I want it to be global. <laughs> I'm sure you needed that to be tasked with, right? Um, mm -hmm. I want to kind of turn our efforts before I ask you about goals with the foundation. Um, I want to turn our efforts now towards drive her transportation. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping you can unpack it. But before you do that, just for all of those little nerdy founders out there, that want to know the nuts and bolts of it. Um, people in the trenches are always like, did she have a co-founder? What's going on? So um, when was it launched? Did you take funding? And do you have founders outside of yourself? Okay, great. That's a good question. So I would, um, so for starters, I'm a solo founder. I am looking, like we are actually looking for um, a technical co-founder. Um, did I take funding? I did take kind of like a friends and family round. Um, we've not gotten the opportunity to get like external funding um, or like capital funding just yet. Um, and then the last question was? Uh, no, I think that was all three. Just okay, when, perfect. well, when, sorry, the year. When. You yes. So we like, we've been working on this from 2017, 2018. Um, and then we did a beta um, in 2018. Um, and then we actually ended up having to put it on hold for some time to rejig our stuff. And then 2020 this year was when we were expected to launch and then COVID kind of hit and they were like, okay, great. This is great. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but like, you know, looking at just the way that things are going, we are still on route to do a launch in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, once cities and everything else kind of like opens back up. 
but like a little bit of like a background on like what started driver so driver actually started um throughout my like it, it started as a result of my personal experience so i was in a taxi and you know going from my friend's house to my house and i got into a taxi and this taxi driver like you know at first was really nice but then started asking some really personal questions like super uncomfortable questions and this was like late at night so there was no way that i would be like okay you know what drop me off on the highway and i'll you know kind of find my way back home um and so that was like just it, the conversation started going south real quick so i ended up actually having to call a friend and i'm like hey listen um I need you to stay on the phone with me. Like, we don't have to talk about anything. Like, you know, just stay on the phone yeah. um, until I get home because this is becoming very uncomfortable. Um, so after that experience, I kind of like, you know, it was, I chucked it as like, oh, it's one of those things, right? And I think a lot of people that I had spoken to also shared like, oh yeah, you know what? It is one of those things. And then kind of like moved on. But throughout the process of like actually working with Power to Girls and, you know, building that relationship with my girls. So like now I have over like 20 girls that I personally mentor that like had started, like had been in the program from like the very, very beginning. So one of the things that I ended up becoming was I actually became a designated driver for them where, mm -hmm. you know, if they are staying on campus late, if they are, you know, going out, like their parents trusted me to like, if they said, oh, I'm going with Aisha, like Aisha's dropping me off and Aisha's picking me back up. Their parents were actually very comfortable with that. Um, so I became that designated driver. And it was also because I knew, like I was okay doing that because I knew exactly the experience that I had had with, you know, a taxi driver later at night when I was in yeah. driving. Um, so it kind of like, there was one time and, you know, I managed a Power to Girls um, Facebook page. And then I came across an article and it was talking about, um, this was in India. And this was like literally right after the experience where um, the young lady had gotten gang raped mm -hmm. um, in the bus. Um, and then they were sharing um, a company that had started that was focused on um, specifically female drivers. And so I was like, this is very interesting. So I actually shared it on our Power to Girls um, Facebook page because we normally share like, you know, inspiring stories. And I'm like, this is really inspiring, you know, women taking their safety and stuff into their own hands. Um, so like, let's say a week or two after I was literally still thinking about that. And I'm like, you know, now that I think about it, I don't think there is something like that in Canada. Um, and currently like India is the only place that has that, like, you know, that kind of a service and, you know, doing the research, I was like, yeah, you know, it makes sense because there's a higher rate of violence against women. Um, and you know, like it's also and like one of the things for me is that like this is also providing economic empowerment, which is like vital um, as well. So I'm like, this is very interesting. So I had a conversation with my friend. I'm like, hey, so I came across this article and I'm thinking that this would be something that would be very interesting to bring to Canada. Um, and then at the same time, it would also be like it would be a very interesting way to penetrate, like, you know, the market in itself. Um, yeah. So flashback actually to years ago i had told my dad um that i had wanted to start a taxi company or a taxi business but this was supposed to be in ghana um you know so i had a conversation with my friend and then i had gone back home and i was talking to my dad about it. he's like yeah i think this is a great idea you should absolutely do it but then what they don't tell you about the tech space is that it is a very male-dominated space mm -hmm. um and then access to funding is not so open you know so there's a lot of work that needs to be done so while i was back home i started working on like the business plan i started working on like what it's going to look like how it's going to feel what the focus is going to be on and for me like one of the things that's really important is that like i'm a social entrepreneur so everything that i do has to have some level of like impact um it has to serve a purpose so it was really like you know i wanted to make sure that yes this was something that i had experienced but then who else had experienced that so i started speaking to women and i started like asking questions i'm like hey this is the idea this is what we want to create like how do you feel about it like you know what are your what are your personal experiences and that was when I started hearing experiences of women that, you know, some, you know, had gone through like, you know, harassment, some had gone through actually like, you know, sexual assault, 
um, and like all these different experiences. And there was one that really stood out to me. Um, and it stood out to me because um, this was a lady that was like that at that time was in her late thirties. And she's like, yeah, like, you know, I had this experience where like, you know, the driver started harassing me. Um, and like, my next question to her was like, was it reported? And then she's like, no, it's like one of those things. And this was an incident that happened like 16 years ago. So that stood out to me because it had become so norm for women to experience this level of like harassment and violence. Um, and that even to the extent where it's like we had become desensitized to it, where it's just like, oh, yeah, you know what? It's one of those things. And I know because when it happened to me, I said, oh, you know what? It is one of those things. So yeah, that was yeah. really kind of like the fire that was lit. That I'm like, OK, I want to be able to do something about this. And in all honesty, building Drive Her has been one of like the hardest things that I've done in my life so far because of just the different challenges and perceptions that it came with. Um, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, now that I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. Now I was like, how are you going to do this? What are you going to do? Like, you know, now you ask like, you know, the what, why, who, how, all those different questions. Yeah. And we're like, okay, there's already a platform that has been set up. There's already something that, you know, the communities and like people have become familiar with. So maybe we can, what we can do is that we can um, tap into that market already because there's already a market there, right? So we can tap into that module and tap into that market. So we decided to go with like the gig, the gig module where it's like, you know, the folks own their vehicles and then they go through the process and then they get a percentage of, you know, the fares and all that stuff. So we went through all of that, um, you know, and then- let's, let's set it up. So everyone knows as you're kind of getting into like these, like, and I love the pain that, um, not for you, but this mm -hmm. is where, you know, founders and entrepreneurs get their camaraderie. You know, yes. they're like, oh yes, that part was awful. You know, mm -hmm. I remember it, but yes. let's set up what Drive Her is. It's an okay. app. Yes. And what absolutely. is it specifically for and do and what are like the constituents around it? Absolutely. So Drive Her is a rideshare app um, that connects female passengers to female drivers. But we're also also focused around like, you know, lifestyle, safety and transportation. So how do we merge those three things together as a company? So that is what we do. Um, and then we've been able to build a platform and build a product that is able to connect these three things together. So for us, like, you know, in the beginning, it was a matter of like, how are we actually going to deliver this service that we like, you know, that we want to provide? Are we going to build our own platform? Are we going to leverage an existing platform? Um, are we going to, you know, like just kind of like license it out? Like, how are we going to do all of those different things? So we decided, okay, we're going to start with like a white label. So we're going to rent a platform, like an already existing platform to use for our service. The challenge now is that we were trying to get insurance and trying to get our license to operate in Toronto. And that was just like, listen, you know, we have to be careful about where data is stored, all of those different things. We were like, okay, cool. Scratch that. We're going to build our own platform. Mm. But then again, I don't have a technical background. I am, uh, you know, I'm kind of like the visionary of the founders. Um, so now it was a matter of like, how do we find the right people to build this platform? Who do we talk to, to build this platform? So we are able to outsource and get like, you know, a tech team on board that like we still work with up to now because we've been able to build that level of like relationship. But then prior to that, one of the things I was also really looking at was that I actually wanted to have a female developer develop drive her because yeah. it would have just been amazing. However, finding a female developer at that time was very very, very hard. And then it just, you know, went into to go deeper, like to prove that like the tech space at that time was, I mean, it still is, but I feel like now people are a bit more vocal around like getting women engaged. But the tech scene at that time was super, super, super male dominated. And then especially adding on top of that, like, you know, you're running a tech startup, there's also more questions that you're asked as a woman that I, f I find that like, you know, men are not necessarily asked that same questions. So it was very interesting. So while we're building, one of the things that, you know, constantly came up and I actually ended up having to like sit down with my developers and I'm like, hey, listen, I know that like, you know, you might feel like, oh, this is 
sexist or this is like oh like you know this is discriminatory and all that stuff but then I'm like I want you to build this thinking about your mother I want you to build this thinking about your sister I want you to build this thinking about your girlfriend you know and think about all those different moments where they they would be in a taxi or they will be in like you know some sort of like a car or transportation service and they call you and to you it's like just another conversation but to them it's like this is the way that I can let that person know that oh you know I have a boyfriend so don't talk to me in certain ways or don't you know harass me or don't say certain things to me right that you might not be unaware of and having that conversation with them was actually it shifted the way that the working relationship became because there was a bit more understanding as to the value of the product and the value of the service than just, oh, this is just another project that we're working on because we've been contracted to do so. So I think that was like one of like the really um, monumental times for us as we were building out our project. Um, so we created, you know, we built our first phase and then we did a beta. <laughs> and, you know, we opened it up to the world and we're like, okay, great, you know, we want you to test this out. Give us your feedback. And like, yeah. it was amazing. We had over 3000 downloads. Um, like literally within a week, we had like 3000 downloads. Um, and then it was just kind of like, <laughs> and this, this, I, I share this and I laugh because I've had time to process all the stuff that happened throughout that period. Um, so about a week, um, after we did like our beta launch and like, you know, trying to get people to interact to the platform. At that time, we had about 60 drivers on our platform. So trying to get people to like, just experience it, like, you know, give us feedback because that was one of the key things that we wanted. Um, our system crashed because <laughs> um, there was just an overload and we're like, okay, yeah. um, what's going on? So we ended up having to take a weekend off to fix that and figure that out. And then like, okay, so we're back. We fixed that. Because again, this was a beta, so you know the worst was bound to happen. But one of the things that we never anticipated was that someone was actually going to try and hack our system. So, two weeks after, um, a gentleman sent me an email and he's like, "Oh, you know, I've been able to hack your system, whatever." And like, in all honesty, I took it as like a joke. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" So I sent the email to my developers. I'm like, "Hey, this is what this person is saying." what like what's going on and we also had like a security team that we had consulted at like we were consulting with at that time so i sent it to them as well i'm like hey what's going on this is what this person is saying um a day later the person had sent whatever it is that they had done to the toronto star so toronto star um for those that you don't know is like one of like the biggest um newspaper newspaper um and like online um media outlets here in Toronto mm -hmm. so the person had sent it to Toronto Star and I'm just like oh my god are you serious like this and it was just like it was one of those things where you're just sitting you're just like seriously like yeah. we came this far um and then it was just you know so at that point in time like we had already once we found out that like okay this was actually something that um there was a vulnerability in like one of our servers we contacted all of our customers and our drivers and we let them know and all that stuff so like they were aware however it's still not gonna like you know take away from like the damage that was created in terms of like you know like um the perception of the people right because it, it kind of like became like oh yeah of course you know it's a woman-run business what do you expect kind of thing and, like those are some of the conversations that we were hearing and some of the things that we were hearing because it was like oh you know yeah like you know you want to compete with these people and it's like what we want to do is creating value. What we want to do is like ensuring safety for our users, um, our drivers and all that stuff. So like this actually goes against our core and like the things that we represent and the things that we stand for. So as a result of that, we're not going to like, you know, we're not going to put, we're not going to put our customers and all that stuff in like, you know, in that position. And so it was a very interesting time. Um, so as a result of that, we kind of like wrapped up our beta early and we're like, okay, great. We've taken all these learnings, all these um, feedback already. So now what we're going to do is that we're going to work on that. And then we like, we're going to basically take the feedback that we've gotten. And then we're going to like, you know, put it together and re-deliver like another product that is, you know, more secure and like all those different things. So yeah, like after that, it was just more like, okay, now we're engaging our audience through social media and stuff like that. But then we're also like building, we're rebuilding, we're, you know, restructuring, we're strategizing, making sure that we're in a position to like, when we do a relaunch, 
we're in a better position to serve our people. So that's basically what we've been doing for the past year and a half. Um, and then like we've finally wrapped everything up beginning of this year um and then we're like okay great this summer is going to be amazing because we are going to you know now people are going to get a chance to really experience it in its fullness and it's it's been so amazing and like i'm actually and you know you're never supposed to say this as a founder in a sense of like i'm really happy with the product that we've built because maybe you know a month later i'm gonna be like okay no this is not it um but it's like i'm happy with the product that we built because we built it with like our customers in mind and we really took into account all the feedback that they provided us. Right. So yeah. it's been very, like, it's been amazing um, building this. But like I said earlier, it's been also one of the hardest, <laughs> hardest things. You've to had do. some significant growing pains. There's no joke to be hacked and then be tattled on to the greatest rag in your town is like no joke. Um, what I will say to that hacker out there, um, I'm married to an original Silicon Valley computer nerd. And so I love speaking directly to them mm. is that Equifax was hacked, like the largest, most secured databases in the world were <laughs> hacked. So you hacking the beta of drive her just means that you're a mean person. It doesn't make you special and it doesn't make your company weak. Thank you yep. for finding the weakness. Let's plug up that hole and move on. Like the yep. idea that it's like, what? It was hacked. No, it's because she's a woman. It's like, no, it's because it's computers. Like that's what they do and they will continue to do. And we have to put trust in them. Like we do our Absolutely. currency and all Absolutely. sorts of things that begin to fail us when those systems fail. Absolutely. You know, there's nothing else you can trust in this world outside of like your loved ones and your mother. Like, I don't know why people are like, how could it have been hacked? Like, well, it is a system, but it, I imagine that that wake up call for you, I've never heard anything so like bleak as to like yeah. they hacked us and then they tattled to the local paper that is like daunting i think i would cry and maybe close up shop or at least think about it i mean that's, honestly that's that was exactly like that was the process for me like i remember i remember exactly like you know the night that it all kind of like happened like i was married i was like crying my friends were calling me i'm like listen i don't want to talk to anyone right now because yeah. it was it's like it, it was a labor of love, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, it still is a labor of love. And I think when you've gone through that experience, you kind of like, you, you wake up and you're like, okay, great. Now we're in business because that means that there's someone out there that is like yeah. constantly watching and constantly tailing us and like, you know, constantly trying to like, you know, do something to our service. Um, and it was also very interesting because I, for me, as the process was unfolding, I was speaking to like one of my mentors and he's like, okay, don't deviate from it. Don't like not speak about it. Like be honest, you know, be like, just say it as it is. I'm like, all right, cool. So I had the conversation and for a very long time, it was, it was one of kind of like the shame aspect of, you know, building a business or of an entrepreneur for me or like mm. of being an entrepreneur. But then as time went on, like I became comfortable having that conversation because it is part of our process and it's part of our growing pains. Like you said, um, so like now I'm also able to look at it and be like, you know what, it was quite unfortunate, but I'm happy that it happened then and not later on down the line when, you know, we had grown up to, we had built our brand, like, you know, to a higher standpoint um, where it would have had a bit more, like much more, you know, damage and much more repercussions. So it was like, it was kind of like one of those things that you go through the process and then you cry about it and then you're just like, okay, great. Let's get to work. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and that's, it's a true testament. It's, I really, it's, it's the ultimate like baptism into whether or not you were for real with the company, you know, yeah. and I think the, um, the ownership that you felt over that is really mm -hmm. testament to your character and who you were. And yeah, I, I don't know any good it would do, but to remind people, like if code ever becomes unbreakable or unhackable, it ceases to be code it suddenly becomes like steel, you know, there's just, it, it's the whole theory behind it. You just need to educate people about computers. We'd love to believe that something is infallible, mm. unhackable. It's just not the case, you know? And so um, that's the whole beauty of the premise. That's why it keeps changing the universe. It's mm -hmm. why we got, you know, gifted Instagram and Twitter 15 years ago. It's like, it's got to keep moving and changing. Um, and yeah, I mean, just thanking that little hacker. I don't know. Part of me is I'm so um, mischievous and I came up in Silicon Valley during the aughts. And so mm -hmm. I'm always like, ooh, I'll bet that was Uber. 
I'll bet it was some sabotage. You know, and I'm sure it could just be some curious little 13 year old girl for all I know, you know? Oh no, like the, the funny thing is we actually know who the hacker is because um, oh. so, they, so they, after that happened, they, when they sent it to the Toronto Star, they, the Toronto Star credited their, um, their company for like, kind of like the hack. Um, and it was very interesting because this person shared it on the LinkedIn. So like prior to that, this person had like followed me on like Instagram. Like it was just like the person was like tailing me in a sense. Mm -hmm. So after that happened and then it kind of like showed up on that person's, you know, LinkedIn. And then on the LinkedIn, it talked about how like, oh, you know, his company was responsible for like kind of like finding this, like, you know, this vulnerability and the driver servers and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, well, it sounded like he wanted press coverage and he got it. So, yeah, I mean, there's an atonement for that that's coming down the road as well. Like <laughs> that in particular individuals going to meet with a very interesting future. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody makes empires of gold off of like rubbish. You know, mm. you've got to start with integrity. So, well, I'm curious. I mean, I love your story and I love your candor with it. And I love that I found you at the side of it where you're like, I've got perspective. And I'll bet, you know, with the pandemic hitting, you're like, yeah, this has happened to us before. We've yeah. been blindsided. Absolutely. But um, I don't think it's going to get you down. I don't think it's going to ruin drive her. And no. I know that things will start picking up again. And so it may be that it's a slow and softer launch. But do you have, have you shifted your plans? And do you have plans for the next one to three years um, that you're kind of projecting or goals for drive her that you would like to see met? Yeah, absolutely. So for us, like you said, this has like, it's been very interesting, like always using the opportunity to learn. Um, and then like just looking at just the way that things are, you know, we are forming a new normal. Yes, like, you know, things are going to go back, but then it's not necessarily going to go back at the pace that we expected it to. Um, so for us now, like it's more around like positioning ourselves um, to be able to respond once um, cities are like, you know, reopened once, you know, things are kind of like back in motion. Um, and then one of the things too that like has been very interesting throughout the period of like building. And like I mentioned this earlier around me personally, like, you know, as a social entrepreneur, ensuring that like every aspect of every um, business or, you know, product or whatever it is that I create has that level of, has that social impact and has that social value. Um, we've also been looking at like what driver would look like in emerging markets specifically um, because you know there is mm -hmm. there is an opportunity for us to not only providing the service but then also really providing re real value trainings um, opportunities um, to women that might not necessarily have access to some of these things right so we've been looking at like what that looks like and I think that's something that would definitely come into fruition over the next year or two um, because it's been a real focus and like we've also seen like based off of like our research and like based off of, like the conversations that we've had we've also seen like we real value coming through that as well um, so yeah like currently just really building and like I said like we had finished our process we had finished our testing you know we were just finalizing things with the city and then like everything kind of happened so once everything comes back, we will definitely have it available for, you know, Toronto specifically um, for folks to be able to create, for folks to be able to have access to the platform and experience it the way that we had intended for it to be experienced. And like even more, um, throughout the process, we've also been able to notice like several verticals and multiple verticals that we can actually, like that drive can be used for. So we've yeah. been able to tap into like, you know, parents that want the service to be used for their yeah. kids and like seniors and like parents that want the service to be used for their parents, you know? So there's been like a, an amazing kind of like vertical, like amazing verticals that have come up out of this. And like, you know, we've also been able to like really come up with some really amazing stuff that I cannot share just yet, but I'm really excited because it like, we've, 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 we've learned a lot. Um, and yeah. for us, it's not only just being like a transportation company, but it's around how do we meet the needs of women um, holistically? So throughout like, you know, their, like, let's say their everyday life, where are the, like, you know, the instances that we can plug ourselves in as a, 
uh, a transportation service? How can we plug ourselves in as like a lifestyle brand? And how can we plug ourselves in as like, you know, an empowerment brand? So like those three things and like, you know, kind of like putting it together and being supportive. Um, and then of course, at the core of it all is like ensuring that our passengers, our users, um, our communities are safe and they feel safe when interacting with our service. Yeah, I'm wondering, do you have any metrics set up or will you just be taking it as it comes as far as noticing? I mean, this has the potential, especially in other emerging markets and um, different status of world countries, but the, the, the model you're setting up here and the, the, the populations that you're serving and you're going to employ has the opportunity to genuinely shift the um, gender parity issue, Absolutely. you know, in, in a lot of like, you can start off micro and small with cities and towns and things like that. But this is a key area, you know, having just returned from Fiji, I didn't see one female cab driver the entire time I was there. And I finally asked a few of them when I was there and they said that they knew of one in the entire cab drivers association of the Fijian Island and Viti Levu, which is the capital that I was on one. And so, and you know, that's a lot of different paradigms set up in that, and I'm not judging that system, but you take that and you, you know, you put a bunch of females in there being asked to host females around, you shift that paradigm really quickly in a climate like that. And I'm wondering if you've looked at after you launch and you get things going, having that dialogue with how much you're changing, um, those numbers in your own community, you know, how many jobs you're shifting women to, I mean, driving someone around, um, cab driving, whatever you call want to call that mm-hmm. service is a wonderful opportunity for our particular gender, you know, or people who are identifying with our gender. It's a moonlighting job. It's a job mm-hmm. parents can do people yeah. returning to school. It's just, yeah. it's an amazing opportunity. And so yeah. to shift that dynamic solely for that group of people, mm-hmm. have you thought about how you're going to kind of capture that, um, that, that economic growth or group or anything like that? No, that's actually a really good question. Um, So one of the things for us is around like, you know, being able to provide those numbers, because when we started like, you know, um, building Drive Her, like, you know, a lot of folks felt that, oh, this is not an issue. You know, this is not like this. Women don't experience this. Women don't care about these things. Um, And for us, it's around like, how are we still able to provide our services while also providing that educational aspect and letting you know that, hey, no, actually, this is how like, this is what's happening. Do you know that like 80% of like the transportation industry specifically is dominated by men? And then like, if you look at like, you know, the current platforms that are out there, it's only like about 17% of all of their, their drivers are like women. And this is like globally, right? So mm-hmm. if you look at all of those different numbers for us, you know, we are at a very um, unique intersection because we're niche we're very targeted and we're very focused um so we are definitely collecting those that like collecting that data in terms of like saying okay well we've been able to employ let's say 60 women throughout like you know like the first three months and these are the things that these women do um early on to like just through conversation and like really having those conversations with our drivers we realized that our drivers themselves are also like entrepreneurs so they're like you know they're mothers they're women that have like side hustles they're women that you know are a website designers they're like all these different things so we're also looking at like how are we merging these people with like their potential customers as well right so how is it that like let's say if you get into a vehicle and you're having a conversation with a driver and then you find out oh I'm a photographer, by the way. And they're like, oh my God, I'm looking for a photographer as well. And then right then and then you've been able to make that connection. So for us, those are like the main metrics that we want to be collecting and the data that we want to be collecting around the impacts that we're making. But then also the numbers in terms of like the number of women that we're providing that economic empowerment to. Um, And then also in the indirect ways that we're also going to be providing them with economic empowerment, right? So if let's say we connect them to a potential customer, that is us indirectly connecting them to, you know, economic empowerment and to access the funds. So yeah, yeah, those are some of the things that like we're looking at. That's so exciting. I mean, when you said that, I thought it was like ultimate matchmaking. The idea that my ride could also be someone that I could collaborate with in the future is Mm -hmm. genius. And that's the kind of Yankee know-how, which you're not American, but when you, if you were, it's that kind of ingenuity that I'm like, standing up about all the time. I love that. That's so exciting. Well, we're running out of time, but I want to wrap it up with them. And this might be hard for you because you come from a platform of advice. And so I need to word this carefully. Normally I just ask people for advice, but 
you that's what you've developed your entire career on um, is like this accurate career advice education model. Um, I'm wondering if someone walked up to you, I'll just say it as I always do with my guests. If a young woman or female identified or non-binary individual, anyone other than a white cisgendered male walked up to you and said, um, <laughs> and said, uh, listen, I'm, I'm getting into, I'm, I'm just starting off, you know, I think I want to get into the transportation situation. I know it's going to be a long road. I think I can do it. You know, my father thinks I can as well. Um, I'm, I'm getting ready to cut my teeth on this. I don't have a backing in that, but that's never stopped me before. What are the top three pieces of advice you would offer that individual knowing what you know now? Mm, that's a good question. So the first thing that I'll say is to like, make sure that like, you know, your industry from the inside out, like literally so that you're able to answer any question that comes up. Um, number two, I'll say is that like, it, it sounds very cliche, but believe in yourself even when you don't feel like it and even when no one else does, because that is one of the main things that is going to like keep you going. Um, and then the last thing that I'll say is that like always remember your why. Why why does it have to be done this way? Does it have to be done this way? Um, are there alternative ways that you can do it? Are there other people that you can potentially partner with to make it easier? Like I think those would be the three things. So understanding the industry. Number two is like, I'll say, actually, let me switch it around. Number one is believe in yourself, even when no one else does. And even when you don't feel like it, number two is like, know the industry, um, understand the industry, understand your competitors, also talk to your customers. And like, I'll put all of that in like, you know, the understanding your industry, because you have to talk to people, like talk to the people that you're hoping to serve so that they're able to give you direct feedback um if there are articles and stuff that are written about like you know that specific industry go through the comment section and see all the things that people are talking about people the things that people are not happy about um and then the last thing wait what was the last thing that i said you said i have it right here always remember you. your why <laughs> remember your why um yeah like always remember your why because that is going to be the one thing that when all else fails is going to be a constant and that's what's going to keep you going the why like why you're doing it so if you don't know why you want to get into a sector then don't do it <laughs> right keep it present with you always those are yeah. those are both all three crucial um so i'll read them back to you and make sure that you've got it and i've got it too believe in yourself even when you don't feel like it yeah um know your industry inside and out and always remember your why yes I love those. Those are words to live by for sure. Well, Aisha, we're out of time, but I wanted to thank say thank you. you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you today. And I really hope I get to circle back around in a year and find out where Drive Her is doing Absolutely. and beg you to bring it down to the States. <laughs> your loss, your loss, your loss are very different from Canada. Are they? We've <laughs> gotten a lot of requests, but we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. Well, if there's enough requests, there should be a way. If not enough will, enough angry women in powerful pockets, make it happen. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Thank you so much for all of your time and your candor. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so very much, Patricia. I hope you're staying safe and yeah, have a wonderful rest of the week. Yeah, you as well. And for everyone listening, we've been speaking with Aisha Otto. She's the founder and CEO of Drive Her Transportation, Inc. You can find out more about it as well as her foundation at www.driveher.com. Yeah. And until we speak again next time, thank you for giving us your time today. And um, as Aisha said, stay in, stay safe. And from me, remember to always bet on yourself. Sluncha.